Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by... DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Ruger, Rugged, Reliable Firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callingest Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, Where Hunting Memories Are Preserved. Taurus, Maker of the Raging Hunter and Other Fine Handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to another segment, episode, if you will, of DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. That just happens to be me. I've been sitting around a campfire now for quite a few years, and this podcast kind of gives me the opportunity to, to visit a little bit about some of the past, some of the things we're doing with some very special guests and friends on occasion, and all those kind of things that uh, really kind of make what I get to do fun. I'm one of those people who fortunately can't wait to get up in the morning and go to work. I've loved my job forever. I started out as a wildlife biologist many years ago. I always seemed to be a writer and got into outdoor television, as a lot of you know, a long time ago. Had my own shows over the years, co-hosted a lot of others, and Finally kind of got out of the TV show business with the exception of now I'm doing uh, some shows about five or six a year with uh, Trijicon's World of Sports and Field that's produced by Safari Classics. We recently had uh, Dave Fulson on. Dave is one of the primaries in Safari Classics and also a very, very dear friend and somebody I work with very closely at, at Dallas Bar Club, DSC. And both Dave and I sit on the DSC Foundation Board, which is kind of the granting arm of, of DSC. 
uh, as Tim Fallon, our president, likes to say, we've got the best job in the world. We find ways to raise money so that we can give away money, so we can raise more money, so we can give away more money to worthwhile wildlife conservation education projects scattered throughout the world. Uh, we just finished our first set of grantings for 2021. Uh, by the time you have a chance to, uh, to listen to this podcast, we'll be working on our second round of, of grantings. And, and some of those grants went to, to Africa where well, there are problems. There, there really are problems. We, we've got some things kind of headed our way that we're hoping through the efforts of DSC and DSC Foundation. And of course, some of are many other organizations that are out there that are kind of brothers and sisters, if you will, of, of DSC and very supportive of, of how DSC handles things to try to prevent those things from occurring here in the U.S. And if you're interested in hunting and the outdoors and the outdoor tradition and the outdoor family tradition, may I suggest that you please become a member of, of DSC. And you can do so by going to www.biggame.org and there's a phone number there and a website of course is there and, and from that website you can find out who the numbers are or what the numbers are so that you can get in touch with uh, Nate Watson who's in charge of membership and there's a list there too of the different chapters that we have across the the continent and looking for more chapters all the time as well too for DSC and and um We've got Carson Keys that handles that as well, too. And of course, you can get in touch with, with Carson as well through the website. And I strongly suggest that you do so. We've got some really weird, bad things kind of headed our way. And we need the membership. We need your participation. We need your uh, support of advocacy for hunting rights and wildlife conservation. And, and there's no better, no better way to do it. I'll repeat it. There's no better way to do that than being a member of DSC. And there also, you can remain very informed of what's going on. We've got Corey Mason as our executive director of DSC. And as of now, also the director of the DSC Foundation to where we're really kind of working together closely hand in hand as we have been, but now we're doing it under one executive directorship. And I'm absolutely thrilled with that. Of course, Corey comes on periodically here with the podcast and, and tells us kind of what's going on. And occasionally we get to tell a, a fun story as well, too. So looking forward to some more victories in the outdoor field so that we can spend a little bit more telling time or telling about some of the fun stories. I know Corey loves to mule deer hunt and a bunch of the others. And he and his, his family just got back from Africa not too long ago. And and uh, Miss Kate and uh, his wife, Miss Karen, and they had an absolute great time. And here in the next several weeks, we'll try to get them back on because I really want them to tell us about the adventure that they had in Africa hunting, I believe it was in uh, Namibia or South Africa. So we'll clarify that and get their stories here before too very long. But heading into the end of the fall as we are, there are several seasons that are open now and some that will be opening very, very, very soon if they're not already open, as I mentioned. Archery seasons are open a lot of different places. Uh, some of the elk hunts are open. Some of the sheep hunts have been going on for a while. Pronghorn antelope hunts. I've got a pronghorn hunt coming up here for too very long that I'm really looking forward to that uh, we'll tell you all about a little bit later, but it is on the Eason Ranch in the central part of New Mexico. 
and it is with a gentleman who uh, was given a hunt by the buyer of that particular hunt at the DSC Foundation Gala that we had, or Gala that we had back in July, in support of, of conservation and wildlife conservation. So we'll have that hunt coming up. And then two, I've got a hunt coming up very similarly, the same way on the Mescalera Apache Reservation. That particular chunk of country has some of the most fantastic elk you can ever imagine, kind of in the southern part of the uh, central part of, of New Mexico. They've under been, been under a strict management program for the last bunch of years regarding elk, and the bulls that they produce are absolutely huge. Now, through Russell Stacy, uh, who serves both on the DSC and DSC Foundation Board, and beyond all that, has been a long-time dear friend, Russell was able to procure permits. Now, to get a permit on the Mescalera to hunt a, a trophy bull, you almost have to kind of be born into it or been involved in, with them a long time because there's a huge waiting list. And the only way to get on that waiting list is uh, to, or to get off that waiting list is for somebody to, as my old friend Sheriff Jim Wilson says, to step on a cloud kind of thing and disappear from the face of the earth. And, um, so we were fortunate in that uh, Russell, through the efforts of some other people involved, was able to put together this hunt for us. And uh, the buyer is going to get to hunt a, a trophy bull, and I'm going to get to hunt a management bull. And I am really, really looking forward to that. And, of course, we'll bring a little bit about that to you once we do the hunt and tell you all about the hunt. Maybe do some interviews while we're there as well, too, with some of the people involved with the Mescalera who do such a fantastic job when it comes to managing those that area for elk, but also for mule deer and, and turkey and black bear and of course a great variety of, of non-game species included. That's all coming up in the future and I hope you'll be here right here with us on DSC's campfires as, as we go into that. Do you have to mention too though that both the antelope hunt and the elk hunt are going to be filmed for Trijicon's World of Sports at Field which happens to air on Sportsman Channel is produced by Safari Classics and uh, thankfully we'll have cameramen with our with our hunters and with me and uh we'll see how all that plays out and you'll get to see those hunts in the future on on tv as well and of course i know i'm going to be writing about them in the pages of dsc game trails and and on international sportsman.com and and of course also probably on trijicon's hunt and and several other blog places where i write so be, be looking for those as we head forward Back during the summertime, I had the opportunity to do something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that was to fish for a big alligator gar with uh, Chris Moody with the Gar Fishing Addictions. Something that I'd set up a, several, oh, really several months ago because, as I mentioned, I've been wanting to catch a big alligator gar. To me, a big alligator gar is one of those that's six feet long approaches 100 pounds and all that said i know they get bigger while we were on the trip uh, a day trip that i took my daughter tisa uh, teresa tigret to to fish with me uh we filmed a segment for a sportsman's life now for those of you who are aware of it you can go to a sportsman's life uh in our youtube pages and and look up the episode and it will show you what I'm about to tell you a little bit about regarding that gar fishing trip. 
The unfortunate thing about all that trip was is that when we got finished, I sat down with Chris Moody and did an absolutely fantastic interview for for here for the Campfires podcast. And oh, foolishly, rather than sending it electronically like I normally do to uh, David Fox, who does the production work for me for the uh, the podcast. And of course, I always appreciate the fact that David opens the show for us, but. Uh, in sending it to David, I got a reply back from him. I sent it through the Postal Service, which I've been done a time or two in the past, but I got a reply back from him uh, to an email saying, Larry, I got the SD card, but it looks like somebody stomped it in the mud, and it's not nothing there is recoverable. So, unfortunately, I had hoped to get together again with Chris Moody and, and to uh, to record a, a podcast with him personally and and I can tell you I am going back gar fishing I am absolutely hooked on that it fishing for those gar of the size that they are is just nothing short of phenomenal when you hook onto one of those so uh I know that uh in in terms with with Chris Chris primarily fishes the uh Trinity River and as I mentioned I set this fishing trip up a little while ago I'd, I'd fished with the uh, with Chris and my old buddy Luke Clayton that I do a lot of things with, including radio and, and of course, the Sportsman's Life as well, too, with Ian Jeff Rice, uh, on a crappie trip there on Richland Chambers, kind of south, more south, I guess, than anything else of, of Dallas, Texas. Had the <laughs> time of my life fishing for crappie. Caught the biggest white crappie and the biggest black crappie I've ever caught. And in, in many years of, of fishing for them, both of them were way above two pounds. So had a great time there, but uh, been wanting to fish with Chris because of his notoriety as being probably the premier. I, I'll just go ahead and say it. He, he is the premier alligator guide fisherman there is in uh, in the world when you get right down to it. When the guys from River Monsters uh, decided they wanted to do a, a show on alligator gar, Chris is who they contacted and fished with and caught some absolutely huge fish. So I got enthralled by alligator gars when I was a kid. I, I remember uh, friends of my granddad back then they fished a lot with trot lines and back then too you could use nets gill nets and they set out gill nets in the colorado river there close to where i grew up and they catch a whole bunch of different kinds of fish catfish and you know all the like carp and and freshwater drum and uh, all kinds of catfish and then occasionally they'd catch a great big old alligator gar that would as I remember, would measure about six feet long, you know, or a little bit bigger. Well, I was just absolutely enthralled with it, and the size of those fish, and the the that mouthful of teeth that they have. I could only imagine what it'd be like to catch one on a rod and reel, and so that's something that I wanted to do. And then, you know, over the years, fish for them a little bit, and never really caught a whole lot of them. Caught some little ones, and and. Uh, Caught a couple of them actually with a fly rod of all things, and uh, we caught one that was probably about almost two feet, two and a half feet long, and I thought that was, at the time was the biggest fish that I'd ever caught. But you know, I always wanted to catch one with a rod and reel. I, I heard that they fight. I heard that they come out of the water and jump like a tarpon, and you know, all those kind of good things just fight really, really hard. And so, all that kind of led to the fact that I wanted to. To try to catch a big one and then several years ago 
back when I was living in College Station, uh, the local wildlife biologist, TPWD biologist, David Rideout, and I got permission to go onto some property adjoining our, where the Navasota River ran through. And there was an oxbow there that was just loaded, or seemed to be loaded, with bullfrogs. Well, David and I decided he had a little about an eight-foot P-row, and we put a car battery in there and, and a headlight and a, that we got a light that we could shine and some headlamps and we got out on this uh, oxbow lake that was probably about a hundred yards wide and maybe about four hundred yards long, not very deep and it periodically flooded uh, whenever the Navasota River flooded, which happened quite frequently. We're out there and we caught a few frogs and, and gigged a few frogs and, and I spotted a big old frog sitting on a on a log and I pointed it out to David and he started kind of slowly paddling over that way not to scare him and I you know, was using a, a, a frog gig that kind of uses like a catcher that's got uh, claws kind of like claws on each side and it, when you hit the frog it closes in on top of him and we were easing up there a little bit closer and a little bit closer and about that time there was a, a something that came to the surface and rolled right next to that little eight foot P row that was longer than that payroll was. <laughs> Thankfully, we saw the scales, otherwise we'd have thought it was probably a dead gum big alligator, but uh, we saw the scales and it was a an alligator gar. And to me, there's no doubt, this, this gar obviously was longer than that eight foot payroll. How long it was and how big it was, we have no idea. We went back and Oh, oh, about a month later before we could get back here to go try to fish it, David took his uh, his archery rig, his bow fishing rig, and I carried a fishing rod. And we back, went back in there to that oxbow and looked and looked and looked and fished and tried and did everything. Of course, the flood had come through, so there's a pretty good chance that this big big alligator guard had, uh, had had left that area and gone back into the Navasota River. But after seeing that one, I went, oh my goodness, one of these days. Well, one of those days happened down in South Texas and uh, hooked onto a guard down there. There was a drainage ditch, kind of runs from, uh, oh my gosh, uh, the very bottom part of Texas into the you know, out into the Gulf. I used to go down there and fish with the guys from Trinity Oaks. They had a property down there that they leased and had a big old saltwater rig and I'd cast out there and in front of a, a mud spot, you could see that drainage ditch at the deepest part was about two feet to three feet deep and a couple spots a little deeper, but uh, there was kind of a mud spot and I figured there was a gar working it and I threw it up just stream of it and let that scent of that cut bait kind of roll back into where the, that fish was. And sure enough, it picked it up and went away and then stopped and picked it up again. And, and uh, because they have a tendency to just hold that, whatever they eat in their mouth for a while before swallowing it. And finally I figured out this, this fish should by then have, have swallowed it or at least. So I reeled up slack and I set the hook on this big old saltwater rig. And when I did, it was like I, uh, I, I was hooked onto a runaway train. I was fishing from the bank and I was trying to run along the side of the bank, keeping up with it. And I looked down and I mean, this thing was, was pulling drag and taking out line a whole lot faster than any I could bring back. And finally, I kind of halfway caught up with it where I still had a little bit of line left on the reel and started reeling and uh, adjusted the drag, which was a mistake. 
uh, I adjusted the drag, tightened the drag, and I mean, this thing was shaking its head and going back and forth, and and uh, what a fight! And then finally, I could, I could, you could see the line kind of coming out of the water, and as the line was kind of coming out of the water, all of a sudden, this this fish jumped out of the water, and it was without a doubt one of those seven and a half, eight foot alligator cars. I mean, it cleared the water and, 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 uh, oh my gosh, it took my breath away and I'm, I, I was so excited. I'd been, I was reeling and reeling and reeling and when it hit the water, it took off again, going the opposite direction and, uh, it was strong enough to where it broke that somewhat powerful line. Well, oh my gosh, that just made things even worse to me or better for me, I guess, depending on your perspective in terms of, of wanting to catch a big alligator guard. As I mentioned, that opportunity finally came with, with Chris Moody with the reputation of being the best alligator guard fisherman in the world. Well, finally the day in July arrived, Teresa and I spent the night with uh, her uh, sister-in-law and, and uh, her husband and we got to where Chris was going to meet us and kind of visit with Chris just a little bit. Got on this specially designed boat that Chris uses for fishing for big gar and got on the river. And as we did, he was telling us about it. He said, Larry, he said, uh, two days ago, he said, we had a gar that I got up to the boat. He said, this gar was well over eight feet long. He said, but it wasn't hooked, hooked very good. And just as I was trying to get the rope around it, because usually what he does is takes a, a loop, makes a loop around with a rope right around the, the alligator guard and then cinches it tight right in front of its, its or right behind rather, its front, the pectoral uh, fins. And it allows him to control that guard to pull it in the boat. He says, I was just in the process of putting that making a loop around the line. And when the head came up and he says, I saw it and it was just barely hooked. And he said, before I could do anything else, the guard swung his head one more time and away it went. He said, so we're going to try to fish that area. He said, I'm hoping that guard's still there because sometimes they do still stay in the same area uh, for a while, or they will stay in the same area for a while. He said, before we do that, though, he said, I want to get you guys used to what we're doing. He said, we'll put out six lines. We're using cut bait from a, from a carp. And uh, he said, we'll just kind of let the lines drift out there and have six out. There's a, a float on each one of them. And he said, where are we going to start out fishing? He said, there were a bunch of smaller gar. He said, I said, smaller gar? He said, yeah, he said, smaller for most people. He said, they were probably from anywhere from about four to maybe five feet long. He said, they were in there the other day, and he looked at a graph of his electronics there, and he said, they're still in here, so we're going to start you guys out here, and then we'll, so you know what kind of what to expect, and then we'll go to where this big gar was. Well, we had put the lines out and had six lines out. It didn't take long for one of them to, um, uh, to take hold and uh, just about time, according to how doing just exactly what, what Chris was saying, he was he was telling us, he said, now they'll pick it up and carry it, pick it up and carry it. And he says, you know, they don't chew their food. They just swallow their food whole. So hopefully by time, you know, we'll let it pick it up a couple of times. And that maybe after that third time, he says, if I feel like there's a potential hook in the gar, he said, I'll tell you to hook, you know, set the hook really hard, as hard as you can, and then reel like crazy. So I wanted Teresa to catch the first gar, and, and uh didn't take long, as I mentioned, before gar picked up the bait and took it out there a little way and stopped and picked it up and carried, you know, went, then moved on a little bit farther. And about the third time that it did, Chris said, okay, set the hook, 
Teresa reeled up slack and with that big old spinning rig, she set the hook. Now she knows how to fish. She'd been fishing since she's been uh, probably about four times. She started walking and fishing with me. So she knew what she was doing and she set the hook and fought that thing probably for about five seconds. And uh, obviously the, the fish had just simply held the bait in its mouth, which they have a tendency to do and, and release the bait. So. We moved on and, and uh, fished to to the area where this big, huge gar had been hooked and almost landed two days ago. And we sat there for a while and the boat had lines out and had one or two of them kind of move the bait around, but never really would take it. So finally Chris said, well, let's, let's move on a little bit and, and uh, let's go to another spot. And of course, all the time he is running his... Uh, his electronics kind of thing and looking to see where these gars are as well too, which, which really kind of puts them in the right area. And we get a little bit farther on and, and sure enough, we set out six lines and immediately one of them gets picked up and carried and picked up and carried and picked up and carried kind of thing. And finally Chris and I said, okay, Teresa, reel up slack and set the hook. And she set that hook reared back and, Guess what? The fight was was literally on, and this gar was obviously a sizable gar. Looking at how the, the pole was bending, and the for a while it was pulling drag and and pulling line out, and so he tightened it up a little bit. After a while, she started gaining on the fish, and when she really started putting pressure on it with the, with the uh, drag a little tighter, this fish came out of the water, and I mean it cleared the water with its tail by a good foot, if not a foot and a half slinging its head looking like a like you've seen the classic tarpon photos of a jumping tarpon hit the water came out of the water not quite as far the second time and after that started kind of wearing down a little bit and we finally got it up there close to the boat and uh, okay chris said bring it up here a little bit closer and and he took a rope and put it around the to a loop and created a loop actually and and dropped it over the alligator guard and put it right back behind the front fins and jerked it tight and that thing went to fighting again and he pulled it in and I looked over at Teresa and her eyes were big with dismay and she looked at me and says oh my god daddy that thing fought like you cannot believe you and then she looked down again at the guard and she goes oh my gracious that's the biggest fish I have ever caught by far kind of thing and he says, oh my, oh my, oh my. So we got some photographs, got some measurements, and got to looking. And, and for the last several years now, uh, Chris and some of the other guys that fish for gar, which is pretty much a put and release there on that particular river, uh, had, had been tagged. So we recorded the tag, and Chris will turn it in a little bit later, or has by now, I guess, turned it in to find out where the fish was tagged, who the fisherman was and also where it was caught but also to where how long it was you know had so they'll be able to tell a little bit about growth in a, in a whatever period of time it's been since that fish had been tagged or the last time it's been caught well she was absolutely ecstatic about this huge fish and she said okay dad it's your turn so while i'm sitting there and, and waiting a little bit farther down waiting for a cork to take you know, take a, take off at a distance. You know, I got thinking about gars and I remembered something that Luke Clayton had told me. He said, you know, he said, Mother Nature sometimes does not mess with perfection. And what he was referring to is that some of the earliest gar 
fossils go back about 100 million years to the to the uh, Cretaceous period. So looking at those fossils as compared to what they are today, there's not a whole lot of difference in those fish. They're pretty much pretty much the same. So they still have about 500 teeth and I mean they get big and they, they're very unique fish in a way in that they have a, a vascularized uh, swim bladder and really what that means is they have a, a, an air bladder that allows them to gulp air and that's what happens quite often when you're out there and if you're out where there's water you'll see this gar rise to the surface gulp of some air and head back in he may slap the water but it's it's pretty good telltale that if you're fishing for gar you're in an area where there might be gar you can tell pretty quickly because almost every gar out there will will come up gulp air and go back down and so that's a pretty good indication when you see that uh, the interesting thing too about the uh, gar is is they have a what they call ganoid scales that's g-a-n-o-i-d scales these are kind of overlapping scales that are very similar to uh, like the enamel of your teeth. Now, one of the interesting things about those, those scales are is they're real sharp and they're stout. And of course, the bigger the fish, the bigger the scales. And over the years of, of having looked for Indian artifacts where alligator gar exist particularly like down along the Rio Grande River and, and some of the like Colorado River some of these larger streams that you know held alligator gars years ago a lot of time around those uh, Indian camps you found uh, gar scales now sometimes I think they were used for ornamentation but there's also the strong possibility and it's been stated too that these larger scales were used for air points for like the the for points on that were shot from a bow and uh, for good reason because they were sharp they stood up and and when hit something and they could be sharpened to a razor honed edge if you will so one of those things that uh <laughs> you know they're just kind of kind of throw it in the back of your mind and and one of these days somebody says something about airheads you can say oh yeah they used to make airheads too out of out of gar scales from your year back particularly years and years ago i mentioned big gar earlier and i mentioned one that was well over eight feet long well there's there's depending on where you look and and who you talk to there there have been some gars that been caught up to 10 feet long and there's a few gars that have been reputed to have been caught that were even longer than 10 feet the the heaviest if you look at record type thing the heaviest one on record taken by any kind of tackle which actually was taken on a on a trot line was the uh, a little up to right at 10 feet long and weighed 301 pounds now as i recall that was probably taken uh the New Aces River, and actually I lied to you, it was, it was uh, 302 pounds, and it came out of the New Aces River there just above where Corpus Christi is. Now, a few years ago, there was one caught by a guide on the Trinity River that was reputedly over 10 feet long, and this was back in 1991, and that gar supposedly weighed 365 pounds. Now, that's that's a big gar. I mean, you talk about a true river monster of a prehistoric age. That's it right there. Now, if you look at uh, one caught, you know, the biggest one caught on a rod and reel, which 
I suspect in a matter of time, Chris and one of his, or one, rather one of his, his uh, clients will end up catching a, a bigger one than this. But there was one caught back in 1951 that's the IGFA all tackle world record, if you will. And it's caught in the Rio Grande River here just in Texas. And it weighed 279 pounds. So, you know, to me, anything over approaching that 100 pound is is a huge is a huge fish. And and certainly, I mean, I've caught uh, my biggest bluegill. I'm sorry, biggest blue catfish. Wish it was bluegill. Probably would never gotten it in if it was. But my biggest blue catfish that I ever caught was 74 pounds. So. Uh, Part of the deal was is I wanted to catch you know freshwater fish larger than that, and I will tell you too that the alligator gar is arguably and scientifically when you get right down to it, the largest freshwater fish in North America. You know you hear things about the the sturgeon up north, and they will get big, but they don't get quite as big nor as heavy as as what the alligator gar do, and, and sturgeon generally have a tendency to go into salt water for a while and they come back into fresh water. With that said, however, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> with that said, however, I have seen uh, alligator gar and they do go into brackish water and they may go into salt water, but it's simply because they, they're right on the edge and, but they spend almost all their time where they can in, in the, the, the minimal part of brackish water and then of course in fresh water. But, you know, you never know. There, there's there got to be some big old gars. Years ago, they used to talk about the biggest gars coming out of the Mississippi River. And for years, those gars were fished out for rough fish, for food. Uh, the Ohio River at one time repeatedly had some huge, huge alligator gar. And when you get right down to it, some of those areas in the north, uh, they're very few far in between. And some of those areas where there used to be alligator gars up north, there are probably not any alligator gars there anymore. So Texas is one of those places. I know there's some in Louisiana and I'm sure all along the, our coastal areas, and of course influenced by the Mississippi River and then the drainages that go into it. But when you get right down to it, we here in Texas are, are blessed with garfish. Uh, in the past, they were considered kind of a rough fish, but guess what? People are finally starting to realize that, uh, you know, they're a pretty, pretty unique kind of fish. And yes, they are good to eat. Uh, they have kind of a very white meat that, that's absolutely delicious. But most of our rivers and, and drainages now, there are some very strict regulations about catch and release or only keeping a gar up to a certain size and you're limited to one gar, maybe two in some areas. And then two, there is a special drawing for a uh, big trophy. I'm talking about those six, eight or six foot beyond gar that you have to have a special permit for that you have to draw through in Texas through the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. But gars get big, and they get big fairly quickly, and, and they grow, have fairly rapid growth rate until they get to be about four feet long, and then it slows down a little bit. They can live from whatever records they've been able to, to come up with, and I'm sure by counting annuli on, on scales and, and maybe now even some tagging, but they can live up to about 50 years of age. And some of these bigger gars that, that people are catching and Unfortunately, for a long time, we're killing with uh, through bow fishing. I mean, it can, I can see where that'd be a tremendous amount of fun of, of shooting a big old gar with a, uh, 
with a bow and arrow and, and I know a lot of people that have done it and continue to do it and I have a lot of friends that have done it but a lot of those guys now are starting to realize how much fun it is if you can go out with a rod reel and catch that rascal and uh, pull it up and take pictures. Now because they have that air bladder they can be out of water for up to almost two hours before it, it affects the the effects of being out of water start coming into play. So there's more than ample time to get that fish out of the water, take some absolutely great photographs, do some specific measurements to where you can come up with an idea on, on weight or even weigh that, the weigh that gar, tag it if it's not already tagged and then release it back into the, to the river or the stream or the water or the lake, whatever. And, Maybe you'll go back in a year or so, or maybe even a few days and catch that same gar again. Think about how much fun that is, as opposed to shooting one with a with a bow and having to kill it to, uh, and it's gone at that point. So to me, I'm I'm not much on on uh, catch and release when it comes to fishing. I love to eat fish, and as old buddy Jim Zumbo says, I catch and release to to. Uh, pan of hot grease kind of thing and, and that's my catch release but when it comes to gar fishing it's a totally different thing uh, those old gar are so majestic in so many different ways it's so absolutely gorgeous when you get right down to it as far as I'm concerned but uh, getting got away from my story there for a little bit and the fact that I actually did catch a gar we were sitting there and I watched this uh, float move away and and uh, like I said, I knew that they'd pick it up and hold it in their mouth for a long time because they don't chew. Even though they have all those teeth, they don't chew. They just hold on to whatever they're going to eat. And they'll eat anything from other fish to uh, to frogs, to, to turtles, to birds, to small mammals. They're, they'll eat just about anything that they can that they can catch long enough to hold in their mouth and swallow. Well, I waited for this, this fish to pick it up, carried away, stopped there, didn't make a whole lot of movement, then picked up and about that third time. I looked over at Chris and, and Chris goes, I think he may have, I think he either swallowed it or I think he's got it far enough back in his mouth. So that if you set the hook, you'll, you'll catch on to something. He said, now remember, they've got a really, really hard bony type mouth and it's really tough to, to set that hook and to catch one. So I did, as he said, I kind of reeled down with that rod to get what little bit of slack was on there and left a little bit. And then I reared back as hard as I could to set that hook. And when I did, oh my God, initially it felt like I'd hooked the bottom. Then the bottom started moving and it took off and it went this way and it went that way going upstream. And Chris had said when the float went upstream, he said, probably a pretty good fish. He said, because of the fact that He's moving up, or she is moving upstream. Most of the really big gars are, are females. And incidentally, too, should you ever kill one and decide you want to have caviar out of it, I strongly recommend not doing so because gar eggs are very toxic and poisonous to, to humans. But I digress. This fish took off, and I mean, it is pulling, and you can feel that, that, that line and that rod where that fish is shaking its head back and forth, and you know, I'm thankful there's a good steel leader on the line and, and that line happens to be a very strong braided line and uh, I'm hoping that this time this fish is not going to break off. 
so I'm fighting this fish and fighting this fish, and finally, the, you know, you can feel the, see the line kind of coming out of the water as it as it's going toward the fish, and the fish kind of kind of is coming up, coming up to jump, and it jumps out of the water, and here's this at least six foot fish that comes out of the water, shaking its head, hits the water so hard it splashes droplets all over the place, goes back down underneath the water, of course, and and it's down there kind of you can feel it shaking its head and then it comes back up a little bit and the whole time i am trying to keep in taunt line trying to gain line where i can and chris is starting to maneuver the boat a little bit closer to the fish and so i'm picking up some line that way and fight this fish for about probably oh my gosh I, it seemed like an hour but it was probably about seven eight maybe ten minutes and it starts coming up to the surface again and it's shaking and, and i mean it is trying turns around and makes another run and and uh, I'm holding on for dear life and and drag being pulled and finally get it fished off and I start regaining again and get it up very close to us where we are and and uh Chris goes okay I'm gonna take a try to put a loop on it and he gets a loop on it and we pull this fish out and it takes a while to get onto the boat pulling him out of the water uh and I'm going, oh my gosh, that's that that fish is is huge. It's it's not at seven or eight footer, but it is absolutely huge. And we'd measured the one my daughter caught, that Trace had caught, that was over five feet long. And this fish was bigger in the, than hers. And so, uh, in the meantime, Trace has been filming all this for the Sportsman's Life. So as I mentioned, you can go see what we do there as well too. But. Uh, it's just absolutely huge fish and as we get it out you can see there is this fish has been cut by a motor kind of right back behind the skull and uh it's grown back and i mean looking at the scar that it had uh it, that would probably have killed anything else other than a gar which tells you how truly tenacious of life they they are got this gar and i am just in total awe of this huge fish at my feet and, and uh chris is is working to to remove the the hook while we've got him lassoed if you will and i'm holding on and this fish settles down thankfully fairly quickly and we get a bunch of pictures and of the fish of, of me with the fish and Teresa and me of the fish and chris and me of the fish because i've got a couple of assignments and I'm working on for gar fishing, one for fur fishing game, and then another for both of them for next year, but the other one for sporty classics that I write for periodically as well, too. Or I used to be on staff with a column called The Long Hunter. And uh, so we're taking all kinds of photographs and taking measurements, and sure enough, this fish is, is over seven feet long. And, and uh, we take the photographs, as I mentioned, and then we tag this fish before releasing it so that it can go back and hopefully this coming year or before then somebody else will catch and release it and we'll get some really good data and, and if not maybe the good lord willing and uh i get to go back in the in the future because before i left i told chris i said i want at least two if not three fishing days next year so i need to bring a couple friends bring my daughter back and try to get Corey Mason on a fishing trip there and my old buddy uh, Dave Fulson as well too wants to come fish and maybe a couple of other guys so I told him to reserve several dates but anyway get the fish back in the water and we're sitting there talking he said Larry he said Let, let's make one more try he said we're going to go a little bit farther uh, downstream he said there's some, been some big fish in that area in years past and 
sure enough, we get down there and, and uh, immediately my daughter hooks into one of them that's probably about a four footer and she gets it right up to the boat. And then we, since we've already got a five footer to photograph, so we release the fish and just a few moments later, this, this, uh, this, I mean, there, there's something on the line and this float moves again upstream and we go through the process of waiting until Chris thinks this thing is in its mouth or in its, in its stomach. Man, I, I set the hook and when I set the hook, it's like setting the hook on the bottom and, and I'm going, oh, oh, oh my goodness, this may sure enough be a big one. And I start reeling and fish start moving around. It's shaking its head and doing all kinds of things and I'm holding on as it makes a run this way and that way, taking the line off. Chris is maneuvering the boat and we get it, oh gosh, finally get up there where we're probably within about, oh, 100 feet or so where this fish is and uh, somewhere in the water down there below. And, and I've got the taunt line. I'm watching this line coming up and I go, oh my gosh, it's going to jump. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It comes out of the water. And this here's a, it, it easily is a seven and a half foot, if not even longer, big bodied gar comes out of the water i can see the hook and i can see the bait in this fish's mouth but it's holding on strictly to the bait as it comes out to the top of the apex of shaking its head like a jump it will make any tarpon truly jealous that fish opens his mouth out falls the bait out falls the hook it hits the water and that's the last we saw of that fish Oh my goodness, but uh, if I hadn't already decided I was going to come back and, and fish with Chris, when that happened, there was no doubt I, I was going to. I will tell you this much, gar fishing is truly addicted, and I understand why he calls his website Gar Fishing Addictions, because it, it is. It'll get under your skin. There's no place, in, there's no other fishing in North America that you can catch that will get as big and to me will put up as big a fight and nor is as, as majestic as one of those gars that's you know approached from five feet on on larger so if you're into wanting to catch a big true fresh american north american freshwater fish uh that's huge you know it's got to be a got to be an alligator gar as far as i'm concerned and um, I will tell you, as I started to, that, that Chris Moody's schedule fills up very quickly. He fishes primarily from kind of late spring to early fall. He said the, the best gar fishing is during the, during those summer months. And, uh, his schedule fills up really, really quickly. So should you wish to try yourself and see how you do on a monstrous, huge alligator gar that could be eight feet long or longer you know you better get in touch with chris in a hurry and and do so right after you hear this his dates fill up unbelievably quick i've got three dates reserved thank goodness so i'm not concerned about not being able to fish with him next year but if, if you want to get in touch with him and the best way to do that is to go to garfishingaddictions.com uh, you'll see all of his, his uh, social media sites from there. You can go from there and there's also a phone number that you can call Chris and uh, get set up for next year. Alligator Gar Fishing, 
I used to get tickled about people saying, oh my gosh, she took me to the gar hole. Well, let me tell you something. I want to go back to that gar hole. I cannot wait until next year to fish for another big alligator gar. Really want to thank y'all for joining us today. And, and don't forget to uh, visit Chris Moody's website and his social media pages. Uh, we're working on a website as well, too, that will be www.larrywysoonoutdoors.com. You can always get in touch with me also on uh, Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors, And then I've got a Facebook page of that same name, too. So we'd love to hear from you what you think about the podcast and, and what you think we ought to be talking about in the future. And for right now, we're going to kind of kick the cold, kick some dirt on the colds. And, and uh, tell you, we'll be right back here with you next week and no telling where we're going to go. So... Appreciate you being with us and truly look forward to being with us this time again next week. And, and don't forget to also go to www.biggame.org and become a member of DSC. Appreciate you. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. TRHP Outdoors. Kenetrek Boots for the trails less traveled. Voight, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection.